Welcome to episode 9 of A-Politic. This is the progressive discussion of politics for people who hate politics. And again, what we're trying to do is empower and encourage people to get registered and vote and to find out about the issues. We are going to try to inform you, give you some information about the progressive political philosophy. We are not partisan, we're not Democrat, we're not Republican, we're not independent. We're just progressive, that means we want to see things make progress. We want to see things get better for everybody. Not just the poor, not just the middle class, not just the upper class, but everybody. So we're not trying to hurt anyone, we're trying to help everyone. So today, we're going to talk about principle five of the progressive philosophy. And basically what we're talking about is that we, progressivism increases the maximum expressing of individual and public potential for all people. And basically what that means is that a progressive society educates and trains its people really throughout their life, from the earliest stages to the later stages, so that no matter when you're alive, you could potentially access training and education to improve your ability to function and express yourself. It's never too early and it's never too late. Or the way I'd like to say it is, from before the cradle to beyond the grave, you can start training children when they're still in their mother's wombs. They can have daycare, preschool, that will help them learn. They can have school between ages six and 22. And then as they get older, they may wanna go back to school and learn new skills. So welcome to episode nine. Okay, welcome to episode nine of A Politic. And today we're gonna talk about principle five of the progressive philosophy. And basically principle five says increases the maximum expression of individual and public potential for all people. And really what we're talking about there is education and training. So a hundred years ago, people began to realize that 
six years or nine years of education was not enough. That you needed to have 12 years of education. And eventually, over the next hundred years, they began to realize, oh, gee, we need to start getting kids ready for first grade. So we had kindergarten. Then they began to realize, hey, kids can start learning even earlier than that. So they started preschool. And eventually they began to learn those that are studying education, those that are studying the human brain, began to see that you could learn actually even before you're born, that the brain begins to organize itself and kids start learning in their mother's wombs. So then society began to realize, okay, well, we really start, we need to start what is called pre-K, pre-kindergarten. And kids began to start seeing openings for them to go to school starting when they're about one or two years old and that there was something called daycare or childcare available for those who are young in that age range of three to six months old and their mothers need to work so they have to be given childcare. So now we have a system which is informally organized to start essentially fairly soon after birth and extends up till age 18. And what we're talking about here is to progress to the point where kids can continue in school with post high school education where they earn a, an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree, even up to a master's degree by the time we're 22. And a, few, a number of years ago, the state of Ohio started something called Program 60, which basically allowed people to go to school for free starting when they were 60 years old, although they couldn't earn a degree, but they could attend classes at any state-supported college at no charge. So what we're talking about here is to expand that further to the point where you can go to school throughout your life and it's a publicly funded process, meaning the money doesn't come directly out of your tuition. You're not charged a tuition. However, what we assume is that as you get more education, as you qualify to earn more money, that you will ultimately be paid, paying more taxes. And so that helps to fund the system. That increased skills bring about increased income, which brings about increased support for the publicly funded system. And we'd like to see that extend from the cradle to the, to the end of life.
Now, Steve, you've been listening to me describe this, and you've had your own thoughts about it, and we've talked about it in the past. What are your thoughts as far as this issue of public support of education that will help individuals achieve their maximum functioning ability, their maximum ability to express themselves, their maximum ability to earn income, start businesses, or just operate in life? What's your thoughts? Well, Bill, I mean, there's an old saying that uh, you, you never stop learning your entire lifetime. Uh, just because you've got a diploma uh, doesn't mean that you won't be learning in your 40s, 50s, 60s. So uh, education, as they say, is a lifelong endeavor. I think that that everything that you said in terms of the architecture of what should happen to young generations as they they get older and move into the society is the the ultimate value of the education that they are receiving it's it's one thing to have them the architecture and the mechanics of uh, you know k through 12 or pre-k you know onto you know uh, college but at the end of the day when you're handed the, the quote unquote the sheepskin do you have the skill sets uh, ingrained sufficiently enough in that education that you can then enter a workforce uh, in a manner in which the employer is saying, hey, you've got all the skills we're looking for, or rather than saying, well, gee whiz, you need some remedial work here. Uh, I mean, that does happen. But if, I mean, one of the things that always struck me about um the education of, uh, I'll just pick on the Columbus Public School District in central Ohio. Uh, I don't know whether they still have it, but they had various kinds of attendance uh, diplomas. So you could literally get a high school diploma and have failed all your courses, but the diploma is based on your attendance record. So if you were in the classroom sitting in your seat, not learning anything, but they could say you were there 95% of the time, you would get a graduating diploma. But that document isn't going to be worth anything. So just saying that you've graduated isn't in and of itself the, the gold standard. The gold standard is the actual utility of the quality of the education you've, you've received. So just to say, okay, I was in class 95% of the time, but I never passed anything, but thanks for my diploma, you know, go out and make a life for yourself, it's, it, it, it'd be very discouraging. So I think that what I'm trying to, to say here is that this infrastructure that you've been de- describing is, is, is uh, very appropriate. But at the end of the day, the value of the end product is going to be the proof of the pudding. And if if you just have something you can hang on the wall and say, hey, I graduated, but then you go out to fill the of the, your potential employer and you go, oh, gee whiz, I, I, can't, I don't know the answer to that or, or um, you know, uh, the quality of my penmanship is such that my the employer can't read what I've written, I think that you've done a disservice to the people who you've tried to educate and then you want to avoid discouraging them saying oh gee whiz all that time was was for naught 
And now, I, where do I go now? So again, I think you're correct in the architecture, but I, again, it's the end product. What does all that time and energy in that that system really avail you once you say, hey, I'm in the workplace now and I want to make a life for myself and then find it difficult to get a job because you don't have the skill sets. Well, that's what we're talking about here is a complete redesign of the system. Because while some schools are excellent at preparing their students for life, including higher education beyond high school, some schools are really poor. And we have a current system to evaluate schools. And we must recognize that failing schools are totally unacceptable. And so that's where we need to develop a greater, um, a more accurate way to assess student performance and what they're learning. So, for example, someone is not learning how to read basic English. They're not learning how to write. They can't make their letters then we have to be able to help those students in their need areas and we need to be able to develop new educational tools where our current edu educational tools are inadequate so that we ultimately don't have one student graduating from the system who is unable to function and that is a very large goal. That's a huge goal because we're talking about kids who have all kinds of learning disabilities. We're talking about kids who have advanced skills. So we're trying to, to reach everyone. And there's a big uh, argument right now about school choice, how to avoid failing schools. So again, I'm talking about a complete redesign of the platform. Well, one of the things that I think is, is sort of the cornerstone to any of your potential ideas and vision is the funding mechanism yes. for our school infrastructure. Now, I'm picking on the state of Ohio. Um, obviously, that's my home state, our home state. It's been, I would say, well over a decade, maybe more, that the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that property taxes are an illegal mechanism by which to fund public education. Right. Now, nobody at the local level has even abided by that. And so if property taxes are going to be the, you know, currently is the fundamental underpinning of the ability to have good schools, good teachers, good good technology and texts, textbooks in the classroom. If you live in a community where the tax base is, is higher, the income level is higher, the property values are higher, then and that tends to be your suburban school system, then you've got a you've got a leg up. Well, let's, the... let's, just, let's just assume that what the Supreme Court found as an illegal or an ill-structured system for funding, we have to end that. 
we have to stop that and we have to come up with a new model for funding. That's a good and idea. The key, the key to that, though, Bill, is if the if state Supreme Court has told the state legislature the current architecture is illegal and the legislature doesn't do anything, which they have not done, then the public then, in terms of their stewardship of their government, has to look at their individual representatives and say, look, you're not doing the job. We're going to change people. We're going to get people in play. And that's where the election or the voting mechanics of our society kick in. But then it's only as good as the participation of the population. And it's, it's sort of like a circle. It's like a cat chasing its tail. You know, you have a Supreme Court saying it's illegal. The legislature at the state level is doing nothing to remedy it. And so the only remedy is to put in elected officials that will address the issue and pass legislation that can be signed by the governor. If people go, oh, I'm not interested in local elections, I don't want to vote, I'm not interested, then turn around and go, my kid's not getting educated, you, you've got to see how the whole thing comes back around to bite itself. Well, that's the point of this whole podcast, that we have a dysfunctional society there are many areas that are broken. And the thing that we keep coming back to is that if 40% of the voters don't vote, we're not going to have a system that works. So again, we come back to the point where you and me and everyone who's in this society must vote. We must become informed We've got to do our homework, and then we've got to vote. And when we get closer to 70, 80, 90% voting, then all of a sudden, the legislators who are not doing their job will be replaced, and we'll get to some new systems. In, in a real sense, uh, Bill, education, or the educational infrastructure of our nation, from the national to the local level, is the mortar that holds the civic identity of our nation together. And if that mortar is weak or in need of strengthening and is not taken care of, then like any other structure, the wall will collapse. And we need to be making sure that the blocks that hold our democracy together, which I believe is fundamentally the education of our people, once the people have a modicum of understanding of what it is that they need to do to be part of what is a participatory democracy, then you, that wall is sturdy. That wall will sustain itself in, in high winds. And, and otherwise, if it's weak, it'll fall over at, at the strongest gust of wind. And I think that that tends to be you know, where I think we are in an allegorical sense. Yep. Well, that is the end of our discussion for today. We will come back to this topic another time. But principle five is we must educate and prepare people, and then we need to get them to vote. So thank you, Steve. All right. You take care, Bill. Thank you for joining us for episode nine. 
Again, we hope you're going to register before October 5th, Monday, and then you'll start voting sometime between October 6th and November 3rd. Look forward to seeing you again next time.